Welcome back to the One Voice Podcast. We're so happy you're here. We're in the midst of a busy travel season, breaking the silence on sexual abuse and exploitation all across America. But it's so important that we always meet back here with a little encouragement as we journey together. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock Bromley, and this week's survivor guest is Joe Martin. Hey, Nicole. I was wondering if you forgot about me. <laughs> no, we just kind of run a little late around here. Four minutes. Come on. I wish I had that kind of luxury, man. I tell you, just to be so casual. Yeah, I know. You're like, I got something at 1045. We'll get this in. (laughs) Well, it was really cool, Joe. I got to be on your podcast, Real Men Connect, a couple weeks ago. And I'm already hearing a ton of feedback from people who've been listening to that. And they just love your show. Uh, It's the number one Christian men's podcast. That's pretty cool. Woo! Yeah. Go figure, man. I didn't think anybody would even listen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like somebody's listening. That's less than two years. Less than two years. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, I'm shocked. God is good. We should take some lessons. (laughs) I had a lot of fun just talking with you, and I really honestly didn't expect it to go the way that it did as I was sharing my story on your podcast and just giving some insights about, you know, healing from sexual abuse and and, and empowering men to be part of the solution. Here, you had your own story. And I was shocked to even know that. And not just shocked, but I was super impressed at your courage and bravery to to boldly go there and to share your own story on your podcast, which I imagine is something that you haven't really shared a lot on that podcast before. Am I right? No, it's actually the opposite. Um, ever since I launched the podcast um, back in January of 2016, um, I actually wanted to do what you guys are doing on your show at One Voice. I wanted to be that voice for men who don't speak up about some of the struggles they've had um, dealing with sexual abuse and that type of thing. And so my whole format of my show was going to be that. And my wife and I discussed it, and she says, Joe, I think God has a bigger platform for you. I know how you can't wait and you're chomping at the bit to help men with this. He says, but I think God wants you to reach a broader audience. But in the same time, you can still share your story while you're reaching the broader audience with other issues. Mm -hmm. So that was my goal. So, of course, as I started doing the shows and doing interviews, because for the first year and a half, we didn't even interview women. It was all men. Mm -hmm. And my wife was the first woman to be on the show. And so as I'm doing these topics, I would talk about, based in the context of the topic we would be discussing, let's say it was dealing with anger, um, then I would mention about being sexually abused as a child. If they were talking about um, uh, marriage and some of the obstacles, how you deal with marriage, I would mention it. So mm. throughout the course of that first year, they knew my testimony. They knew my story. Yeah. But I would never talk about it as a topic. Uh-huh. But So my goal was, why not get someone to bring on the show and start discussing the topic? Mm-hmm. But Nicole, what I told you even off the air is that the problem was I was naive. I thought I would have maybe once a month, once every other month or once every quarter, some man to come on, a Christian man to come on the show to talk about sexual abuse. And I have not found any, <laughs> not one. Wow. So when I was able to, to book you on the show, um, and I, I'm not trying to say this in a disparaging way, I'm like, oh, man, I got to get a woman. I said, but Joe, we have to discuss this. You got to do it. So when you agreed to do it, I was so excited and super hyped. 
and I'm telling you, and I know I'm biased when I'm saying this, it's the best show that I've done since we launched the podcast. Oh, wow. My list, my listeners would say otherwise because they would say, oh, Joe, but that show on identity and finding your identity in Christ or dealing with pornography and this, they have their favorite shows. I have mine. Mm. And I would say, that's why I told you, I said, you're the first guest that I wanted to actually pay for coming <laughs> on my show, doing what you did. And so it's my all-time favorite. And I told the men at the conference I spoke to um, in Rochester, New York this past weekend, I told them that was my favorite interview. So I wow. know we're going to get tons of more guys downloading that episode because mm. they can't wait to hear the interview I have with you. So Aww. that's how it came about. So, no, it was a plan and just didn't work out the way I planned it. Well, I think it's really cool how, you know, your your ministry reaches so many different topics and is very broad and um, specifically for men but how you can just simply drop a label, you know, I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. And that just holds so much weight to all the other people that are in the audience hearing that, you know, you don't even have to go any deeper. You don't have to spend an hour on a stage like I do talking about all different extents of the abuse and how it affects you simply by identifying yourself as a survivor of abuse it validates those in the audience for their story. It helps them feel safe to come out with their own story and identify themselves as well. You know, this whole Me Too movement. Just by you standing up there as a strong, courageous, black Christian man, you're giving other people that permission. I think that's really cool. You know, but Nicole, the thing that just baffles me is, like you said, I don't have to spend an hour talking about it because it really is you know, planting seeds and then is blessing the men who are listening to it. But here's the ironic thing about it. They will spend an hour after my program talking to me about it. Yeah. And so, wow. and, yeah. and so in that case, I would love to do more shows on it because obviously men do want to talk about it, but I don't know why. I don't know. I can't understand why it's so hard and difficult to get men who I know who successfully survived it to mm-hmm. come on. I understand about the men who's still suffering. Because I wasn't always open with it and talking about it. But after I went through the healing process and I survived it, I couldn't wait to talk about it. And I know there's a lot of men who have survived it. But I can't get those men who've survived it successfully to talk about it in detail. I guess I don't know what the problem is with it. But so um, it's funny that, yeah, I don't have to mention it um, and talk. I'll spend a whole hour on it. But they spend hours talking to me afterwards about it. Because men are waiting. They're waiting for someone else to bring it up, to say, you know, they've gone through this and someone that they actually admire and respect to be able to have the confidence and courage to say that. I think so many guys, so many survivors in general are just waiting for that opportunity to be able to break their silence because we all know that's where our healing begins. It's just hard to be the first person. And so for me and for Mary and for you, we are that person that God is calling to to step forward first and allow the other ones to follow behind us. We're paving a path. We're blazing a trail for other people's healing journeys to begin. I think that's really incredible that you've been that way for, especially for males. I know, you know, I try to write all my books. We do our podcasts. We are very sensitive to the fact that, you know, this is hitting men and women and don't want to focus on one specific gender. And so, you know, there's a lot of male survivors who come forward to us and email us about their stories and things and relate to my books or whatever. But I think as a man, like you can reach so many more. And I think that's really encouraging. I wonder, too, if if you'd be willing just to share even just a little bit of your story, because I know, you know, we had my friend Jody Ploche on here recently and 
so many male survivors related to his story and love that podcast with him. But I think um, being able to hear a little bit of your story, too, would be super encouraging to them and honestly to the black community. Yeah. You know, Jody's story to me is just mind, mind blowing. I wasn't kidnapped and abducted, you know, but right. I look at what he's been through. I'm thinking, my goodness, I don't even know how I would have survived that. Mm. But my story um, starts with, I guess it's the typical story of anyone who's survived sexual abuse that there was a opportunity for a predator to come in and there was an opening. And with my life, I grew up in one of the toughest um, projects in ghettos in Miami, Florida, in a place called Liberty City. And if anyone out there who's listening on your podcast, um, if they don't, they've never heard of my, my inner city ghetto, yes, they have. If they've heard of the game Grand Theft Auto, mm. <laughs> then they've heard of Liberty City. Yeah. But that was in my neighborhood. That was about three blocks from where I grew up. And so I grew up there. My mom was a teenage mother, had me at the age of 16, and my dad was 18, and he left when I was only two years old. Mm. So already I'm primed for anyone to kind of swoop in. Mm -hmm. But my mom, she was dealing with her own demons. Um, She um, was struggling with alcoholism. Um, And to kind of give you the kind of community I lived in, they would sell me the beer for my mom. She would send me to a place to buy the alcohol. And it would sell it to me when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Wow. And so my mom just in a deep depression because she had two kids by the time she was 17. And my dad just left and never heard from my dad. No child support, none of that stuff. And so um, I didn't have a man in my life. Now, there were males in my community, but not men, because the males in my community were either gangbangers, drug dealers. I mean, they were notorious criminals. Yeah. My mom looked around and she saw this community where there were all these males, but none of these older males were with their children. And none of the children that she saw were with their fathers. And so she knew that she needed somebody to help me, to, to help kind of be an influence, a positive influence on me. Mm-hmm. And so here was her criteria. Does he have a criminal record? Good. No, he doesn't have a criminal record. Mm-hmm. He's not a gangbanger. He's not selling drugs. And he's just waiting to be caught. He has a job and he has transportation. Mm-hmm. That was her qualification for what she thought a responsible man would be. Mm-hmm. And so that's not a very high standard. No. <laughs> so she found my cousin and he came to my mom and said, you know what? I will help. And so... He comes in, he's about six or maybe eight years older than I am, and he had a job, he had a car, and so, and he was trying to, um, to better himself. He had a high school diploma, and which was rare in our neighborhood. Wow. All right, so that tells you kind of environment. So she was attracted to him to say, okay, you come in and help, help Joe. Well, he pretty much volunteered. He said, oh, Rose, I got this. I'll help him. Mm-hmm. And this man took better care of me than my mom did. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I'm mm-hmm. telling you guys, Mary Nicole, he, he fed me. He clothed me. He, he, was, he did everything I needed in a, a parent. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't do it. My mom didn't do it. He made sure I, I was eating all the time, that I wasn't starving anymore. I was actually starting to gain weight, yeah. you know, which was a first for me. So he took care of me and started feeding me. I, I mean, I started dressing better, feeling better, looking better. And that only lasted about several months. I'll say about maybe three to four months until he started, I guess, I guess you call it pushing the boundaries, yeah. um, testing me. Okay. And he, he would touch me and, you know, and I would feel uncomfortable about it, but I thought, oh, that's no big deal. You know, maybe he, that was a mistake. Yeah. And so mm. he was doing this eventually to see how far he could take it. And eventually he ended up um, sexually abusing me. And when I say that he was sexually abusing me, it started small until it pretty much crossed the line of rape. Um, because he would he would actually drug me Aww. and I would be unconscious and all I would do is wake up in pain and not Aww, knowing Joe. what happened to me. 
And so, and this went on for three years, mm. three years. And I didn't know what to do and how to respond to it because I didn't want to get him in trouble because he was nice. Yeah. You know, he started out nice and right. he would take care of me. Yeah, he was your caretaker. He was your, the one you were depending on. In a sense, you could say he was my parent. Right. It was like my parent was abusing me because uh -huh. my, he paid more attention to me than my mom and my dad did. Uh -huh. You know, he would check on me at school, see how, how I was doing. And so, but as I got older, I, of course, I hated it. I, I, I wanted it to stop. And whenever I would try to, now I would start fighting him to actually try to stop it when I got around 12, you know, 13 years old. And think about me being 13 years old. How much fight do you think I have in me under 100 pounds fighting a guy who's over 200 pounds? Yeah. You know, and so all it would take for him to hit me once and I was out. And so, but I'd fight with everything I had in me. And he was even telling me, why are you fighting this? You know, why, you know, I'm here, you know, I love you and I'm, I'm trying to take care of you. He, he was the first man to ever tell me he loved me. No man has ever told me he loved me before. So this is my first introduction to what the love of father is. Mm. Yeah, think about that for a second. Yeah, right. The first man to tell you that he loves you is the man who's sexually abusing you, mm -hmm. who's mm -hmm. raping you, molesting you. Right. So it started from molestation to sexual abuse to pretty much rape. Mm. That's what it elevated to. Mm -hmm. And so here I am now. I, I, I became suicidal. Even after he left my life, I became suicidal from, I would say, from 12 to 16 years old. Did he walk out of your life Willingly. after that three-year period? I mean, was it pretty much immediately? No, he didn't walk out of my life. Matter of fact, as I'm going through this, now, I remember I told you my mom was pretty much intoxicated most of my, my childhood. Now, he, and I forgot to tell you, he lived with us. My mom took him in. And I don't even want to describe to you the day, I, the, what I would, the torture I would go through knowing he was coming home. Because mm. um, I would go to bed early before eight o'clock. And remember, I'm in middle school and I'm going to bed at eight o'clock. So maybe if I'm asleep, he won't bother me, you know, kind of thing. It, it still didn't matter. Mm. But what happened is we got maybe about maybe about the first year or maybe a year and a half, a mother knows something. And so she's watching me and watching my behavior. And she's thinking something's not right. Something's not right with, with little Joe. And so she comes to me and she asks me, is he bothering you? Is he touching you? Is he, is anything wrong? And of course, Nicole, you know what I said? Oh, there's nothing wrong. Of course. Cause that's why when you were on my show, I was asking, how do you find your voice when you're a child? What to say when they're asking, because no one ever, ever even asked me before, but that was the first time. And I was still too scared and too frightened to, to say anything. So I didn't say anything. I, I did not. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm good. It, no, no, he's not. Did you sure? I said, no, nothing's wrong. But she never asked me again. Yeah. And so the abuse continued. Mm -hmm. And eventually I, and I, you have to interview my mom. And to this day, my mom and I still don't talk about it in detail because I would love to know from her. Something in her made him, her kick him out. Nothing I said. Nothing I did. Mm. Okay. Nothing he said. She didn't see anything. She didn't, she didn't know anything. All I know is that she just kicked him out and said, get out of my house. I okay. don't want you here anymore. And she kicked him out and he begged and pleaded. What's went wrong yet? And she could it's so like, I can't explain it, but something's not right about you. And I'm getting you out of our lives. And of course, as she's kicking him out of our lives, you know, I'm now I'm battling with these mixed emotions. Yes, I'm glad he's leaving, but I'm going to starve to death. Mm. I, I'm not going to eat anymore. How am I going to survive? Right. Mama, you're kicking him out, but you're not making any provision for me if he leaves. So I have this love-hate thing. I can't stand him, 
but I want to eat. You know, I, I want to survive. Exactly. And so he leaves. And, of course, I'm now I'm not being abused. I feel better. Mm. However, I'm still dealing with the demons and the, the flashbacks and the nightmares and all this other stuff. And I feel safer now. But at the same time, I'm thinking my life is over. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die from starvation. I keep going to school acting like everything's normal. And I don't know how to tell anybody I need help because now if I tell people that I'm not eating, they're going to put my, my mom's going to be in trouble. Yeah. You know, so that's why I was suicidal and thinking, God, you know, and I believe in God. I'm thinking, but God, I'm mad at it. Yeah. I'm thinking, what did I do to deserve all of this? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not a game banger. I don't sell drugs. I'm not robbing people like my friends are doing. Um, I, I'm not making great grades, but I'm not failing any classes. I just don't understand why all this is happening to me. Why did my mom decide she doesn't want to be a mother anymore at, when I'm 10 years old? How come my dad decides to leave us at, at two years old? Why did this man just come into my life and see me as an innocent little boy decide to just take advantage of me? Mm-hmm. Why, God, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why are my friends dying? I lost six of my friends when I was 16 years old. And I'm watching them die from gang violence and drugs and innocent um, kids and dying at 12, 13, 14 years old. So, you know, I'm thinking, shoot, I probably will kill myself before somebody else do, um, does it in my neighborhood. And so I had, an, and then of course, I had a, an encounter with God that changed my life at the age of 16 and I didn't do it. And that's another story altogether. Okay. But so that was, that I, I'm giving you kind of like just the highlights of the abuse. And I can answer any questions that you have specifically along that journey, but I kind of give you a, a bird's eye view. The rest of your childhood, you didn't tell until you were an adult, no. right? Until I was 33 years old. And the first person you told was your ex-wife? Yes. How many of us, especially male survivors, can relate to that of holding that in for so long and then it comes out later? Once you were able to begin working on your healing, Joe, you know, what What was that like for you and how how in the world have you come from that to be able to, I mean, have a woman on your podcast? Yeah, yeah, even have women on my podcast. Yeah, respect women. I mean, I know you're in a marriage today where, you know, it's loving and... Wonderful. Yes. Yes, so wonderful. What, more than I deserve. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, God is good, man. I'm telling you. So has it been a lot of, of having male mentors in your life and, and learning what a real man looks like and... Or has it been more like in a counseling office and working through your trauma and how it's affected you? I mean, where have you, where do you see you've just made that real man turn? All of the above, Nicole. (laughs) And a lot of men don't want to hear that because they're like, man, that's a lot of work. It's necessary. I'm not going to tell you there's going to be a magic pill solution. There's going to be a magic wand and God is just going to heal you. No, God can heal you, but you're going to have to take some steps of faith to do it. That if God can do this for me, he can do it for you. You know what, Joe? I do want to just say one thing to you. When you said the worst thing was that you didn't tell anybody, the worst thing for you was that you didn't tell anybody. I kind of want to just tell you the worst thing was that you didn't have anyone to tell. Oh, my goodness, Nicole. Ah. It wasn't your fault. You know, and I feel like the language there, you're still carrying a little bit. And I know there's so much freedom for you. And this is a really good word for a lot of people. But I also think we need to remind ourselves that as a little 10 year old middle school kid, for you to carry the fact that you didn't tell. I think sometimes we need to think about the fact that we didn't have someone that we felt like we could tell. 
you know, you weren't surrounded by people that were safe enough or were watching out for you or all of that. So in reality, you are now being the one that these kids can tell, you know, your son, Kendall, and your, and your daughter, you're becoming those people that they can tell if it does happen to them, where we're taking the pressure off the victim and putting it yeah. on the bystanders. Yeah. And that's where it should be. You know, and I learned that from you when you were on our show. And, and, and I, that's why I think my mom took it so hard. Because, Nicole, I can honestly tell you that if I would, when my mom asked me the first time, if I would have told her, she would have taken my side. I could have told her, and I just didn't, because I was just a kid. I was just a kid. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. After I I came clean with my mom when I was in my 30s, after I told my ex-wife, my mom and my sister confronted my abuser. Wow. They confronted him behind my back. Mm -hmm. They confronted him. And boy, when I found out, I was so mad with them. I was so angry Mm -hmm. that they did that, because Mm -hmm. I had gone through forgiving him and everything, and he went off the grid. No one knows, or at least his family won't tell us where he is. And which I think is evil. So we don't know where he is. And I don't even know how my mom and sister was able to find my cousin. Subliminally, and I so secretly, I didn't tell them this. I actually was proud they did. Yeah. Because my mom, it, it was more healing for my mom and my sister than it was for me. Because mm. I'd already been healed. Yeah. yeah. What they needed to, because they felt help was like, we could have helped Joe and we didn't. Yeah. And so that gave them like, Wow, they fought for me. Right. It made me feel good. It, yeah. We all deep down want to feel protected. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. I love the way you put that, that the responsibility shouldn't be on us as kids to be able to have the boldness to do that. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. But to be a hands-on parent where you're looking and observing and watching the signs of your children, look at who's spending time with your children, why are they spending more time with my children than I am. You need to be proactive right. as a parent to yeah. pull that out of your child yeah. and give them the voice that they're struggling to find mm-hmm. themselves. So I know that now as a parent, my mom did, she didn't know that. And I, my heart breaks for her for that. Well, with one in six boys being sexually abused by the time they're 18, you know, if... And we know that number, you know that number's not true. You know it's more than Oh, I am certain of it. I think it's harder. It's harder for guys to come forward with their stories, even more so than girls, I think, in a general rule. And so I think the statistic's even worse. But even so, I mean, we have to look beneath the surface and the lives around us. We have to look out for our kids. If there's People trying to spend more time with your child, your son, than you are. If your yeah. coach, the coach yeah. is wanting to take your kid home from school, you know, for you constantly. I mean, these are honestly, they're red flags. And it, it's scary that we have to think about the pastors and the coaches and the youth leaders and the uncles in our lives or the aunts in our lives or the babysitters. But we have to look out for our kids. Yeah. I think what you said is so true that men are hiding in the shadows and it's destroying them and we have to bring them out from hiding. And by sharing your story today, Joe, I know that you're going to do just that and continuing in your ministry to identify yourself as a sexual abuse survivor. I think you're just bringing freedom to so many men who are living in the shadows and, and the darkness is just consuming them. But for them to be able to find their voice um, as a result of your courage is just absolutely incredible. So Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and just so much brilliance and wisdom from experience. And honestly, your vulnerability too, just your honest struggles are encouraging, I think, for so many people to 
know that they're not alone. And that's one of the most important things that I think this podcast can offer others. And Nicole, thank you um, more than I, you know, now I said I wanted to offer to pay you to be on my show. But now I feel like I need to pay you for being on your show because you're the first. Um, I've done hundreds of interviews. Mm-hmm. This is the first time anyone's interviewed me about this. Well, now that I know you have five houses, I will take a paycheck of yours. That's totally fine. No, I, no, I don't have those. Five, oh, I've got to tell you, I lost the compensation after my divorce. <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, but it's all been worth it. And that's a good thing, right? <laughs> I'm richer than I've ever been in my life now. So I can't thank you enough. And yes, I will put, put a check in the mail, at least donate to your ministry. Uh-huh. So look for that. That's coming. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. All right, Joe, you have an excellent week. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the One Voice podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. And if you can find a minute, please write a review so others looking for encouragement on the topic of sexual abuse can find us and join the movement. To become a part of our online community, visit IamOneVoice.org and follow us on Facebook by searching for One Voice, spelled together as one word. We'll see you here next time on the One Voice podcast.